This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's the Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along. Winning homecoming for the Reds, Mane off the mark and Elliot Imperius. Plus, a Shaq gap appears in the attack as Leon close in on the Swiss's signature. Here to get into the win over Burnley, plus plenty more. We have our Liverpool correspondent, Paul Gorst, and chief Liverpool writer, Ian Doyle. Guys, we're, we're back virtually again after Friday's antics getting around the city. But uh, I'll come to you, Gorsty. You were there, obviously, at at Anfield on, on Saturday for the win over Burnley. Biggest part was having the fans back. Yeah, it was great. Um, long overdue, wasn't it? Close to 18 months. Anfield's been largely empty. Uh, it was great in December when they had the 2000 in. It kind of gives a little bit of a um, you know, a little crumb of, of what we've been missing. And then the Palace game in May was a game that I, I was looking forward to for weeks, to be honest, um, even before we knew what Liverpool's situation was with the top four, just because... You know, what a big difference to the entire spectacle that the fans make. And then we had the friendlies, which was another kind of big checkpoint. And then competitive Anfield, full, um, 54,000 all in, on time, no delays to kick off. And everything went swimmingly. Um, so you never walk long before kickoff was great. And there was a little bit of a poignant moment before kickoff when they paid tribute to, to everyone who they've lost. During the pandemic, you know, people like Gerard Houllier and, and one or two others, um, Ray Clements. And yeah, it was um it was a good afternoon all in all. Um the players delivered, fans kind of responded to it at times and um the Burnley, even the Burnley fans were having a little bit of a go as well. So um yeah, all in all a successful afternoon for Liverpool. Yeah, sun shining as well. Doyle, it sounds like the afternoon that even you may well have had a smile across your face. I may, I may have smirked slightly, <laughs> a slight smirk. Yeah, no, it was a, it was a good afternoon. Um, can't really add any more to what Gorsty said. Um, I think basically it's it's what people have been. I mean, it was interesting, wasn't it? Driving up to the ground. I know Gorsty got a little bit stuck in traffic. Um, I got stuck in the rain, so I thought that whether or not that could have dampened things a little bit. But you know, Jurgen Klopp came out afterwards and said that's probably the best half past twelve atmosphere we've ever had at a game. And to be honest, it always was going to be. I think. I mean, you, you saw from the, you know, the, you'll never walk alone. You heard it around the stadium before the game. The, the fans were just united in that. They'd been looking forward to that for a le- very long time. And so were the players. And you can see that with the way that they played. You know, as Gorsi said, Burnley came and they made a proper game of it. So it was, it was almost like it was a proper game of football. And you imagine, I know we'll talk a bit about, you know, the challenges and all this, that and the other. And now things were a bit robust, shall we say. It was a little bit of a throwback to maybe football about three or four years ago. And, you know, for... I know we work in an industry where if something happened yesterday, you've got to think twice about whether or not it's actually relevant anymore. It was actually quite nice that we could, you know, remind ourselves of why we all love the game and why it's so important to so many, so many people. It was one of those, it felt to me, Gorsi, as well, the contest that actually where I suppose the Premier League becomes more and more a league within leagues and a side like Burnley, for example, one of the minnows in the division are expected to come to somewhere like Anfield and really sit back and not try and take the game too much to the opposition. It wasn't that, was it? It was a case of both sides really throwing what they could at one another. Yeah, Burnley, um, Burnley don't tend to, to sit back too much, do they? They're not a... I mean, they do have very strong defensive-minded players in, in the in the eleven, but um, it's always two up front, isn't it? It's always two wide men. Get it forward early, get it forward quick, knock it long. Um, and 
he make the most of it, don't he? Um, it wouldn't be something I'd like to watch every week. And I, I never enjoy watching Liverpool games against Burnley in the main because they're always a bit of a slog and a bit of a tussle and, and they make it a real physical battle, don't they? And um, it's not one for the purists. But um, that that is their trademark, isn't it? You know, Sean Dice's team had 1-11 to on the back of the shirts. and In numerical first, order. Yeah, it's the first time that's happened since 1998, apparently, which uh, is a bit of a throwback. Um, that was something that I quite enjoyed. But um, generally, I'm not uh, overly fond of Burnley and how they approach it and whatever else. But they do have a style that does work for them. And uh, you have to kind of counteract that, don't you, in certain ways. And, and Liverpool did that quite well. There was a bit of a nervy start to the second half. And, you know, we felt that Liverpool would need that second goal. Um, so but once they got it, you, you thought, OK, well, this is pretty much going to be a, another win for Liverpool. And um, it was a question of can they get a third or a fourth? Um, as it turned out, no, but uh, yeah, overall, it was a great afternoon. Yeah, no, it, it definitely was. It, it was sort of everything going to plan for Liverpool. And Wilson said it might not really have been one for the purists, their playing style, but certainly the 1-11 to 11 on the back of the shirt, informational order as well, sort of, yeah, really put a smile across my face. But Doily, Diogo Jota getting the, the scoring open, heading in Simakas's cross and getting his second goal in, in two games. To me, it feels as though there is a, a very, very good striker centre-forward in there ready now this season to be unlocked and take the keys for the Liverpool attack, perhaps, alongside the likes of, of Salah and Mane. Goals through the middle. Well, we saw that, didn't we, at the stage of last season when Jota was playing, was it Atalanta away, where he's got the hat-trick and yeah. playing the central position then? So he's always had, had that ability. I think it's interesting. I know we're not even going to talk about it today, but I don't think he'll play against Chelsea, for example. And the reason being is that... I think. The one thing he's not as good at for me you know, is controlling the ball, holding it up, and you know dropping into those positions where I think he'll need to do against against Chelsea. And he, and well, as we've seen many a time as well already, he's very good at coming off the bench and helping change games. But what's interesting is that he's done exactly what a, a centre forward should do. He scored the opening goal in both games. And it's always the most important goal. You know, uh, the last couple of years it's been normally it's been Salah. I think there was one year where Mane scored a lot of first goals in, in games, and. For Jota, yeah, you're right, Liverpool, I mean, we kind of knew it anyway, but now it's definite is that they do have these four very good striking or forward alternatives, I should say, for these three places. And it's a matter of whether or not they bring decide whether they need to bring somebody else in, you know, between now and the the transfer window closing next week, which I'm sure we'll get on to shortly. But for Jota, yeah, I mean, uh, cause it, I'm, did he miss the end of last season? I can't even remember. I mean, he was injured, wasn't he, for the United game, wasn't he? Jota, no, he played. He the got United injured game. in the United game. He got um, injured. In. That's right. He missed the Burnley game, was it? The, the, and the West Brom game. That's right. Yeah, the West Brom so, was, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Correct. Now, so you know, he he did miss big parts of the season. We know that. But in terms of his debut campaign, he couldn't have really asked for much more when he was on the pitch. He's showing that again. He's had a full, um, a full pre-season which he didn't have. Last year, which is the same for an awful lot of players, you say Thiago, and of course that was the first time he played in competitive game in front of loads of supporters then as well. And don't forget the other time that he has played in front of quite a lot of fans at Anfield it was only the other week against Bill Bow, and he scored then as well yeah. in the one-one draw. So here's a player who I know from having spoken to some people at Wolves, he tends to be a bit of a streaky goal scorer. Where if he scores one, he'll score about five, and then he might not score again for about four weeks. So Liverpool just have to make the most of it while they can. Yeah, I think also with a player like him in a Liverpool side, you, you 
can sort of flatten those streets out, those bumps, I suppose, in terms of the, the volume of chances he's going to get created for him. And, and Gorsley sort of bowed to the cop, didn't he, when he, he took his goal. And as Doyle was saying, it was the first time he was in front of a home crowd in competitive yeah. action at a full cop and really sort of seemed to, to relish it. But in terms of the dynamic he brings to that centre-forward role, it's different certainly to Firmino in terms of he gets a lot higher up against, say, the, the, the centre-halves and took the header really well, but he's also got that mobility that maybe someone like a, a Divock Origi, for example, doesn't quite possess. He does. He's got a lot to his game, to be fair to Jota. Um, he's got two great feet. He can play on the right, on the left, or evidently down the middle. Great balance, great work ethic. Um, very good in the air, surprisingly, for someone who's what is he, like, about five foot eight or nine. Um, the goal he scored on Saturday was um, his fourth header as a Liverpool player and um, only Benteke, Cavani and somebody else who I can't quite remember now off the top of my head have scored more. Uh, oh, Calvert-Lewin. They've all scored Lewis, yeah. since, uh, since his Liverpool debut, which was what, 11 months ago. So he's got loads of, of strings to his bow um, and I think Liverpool were hopeful that he could kind of make the step up when he moved from Wolves and um, I think he did it a lot quicker than people thought and, and now as Doyle says he's really shown himself to be a, a proper option isn't he for um, for that you know across the front so Liverpool have got four options for the three positions we're going to come on to Chiquette leaving shortly aren't we and Divock Origi probably not what Liverpool fans want to see week in week out so um, Jota is a real Proper option, as Jürgen Klopp might say, to the uh, to the front three options. Yeah, definitely. I want to talk a bit then about Jürgen Klopp before we sort of get on to, to Mane's goal and some of the other individual performances. But after the game, Doyle speaking with the press, he kind of spoke about the new officiating guidelines, I suppose, that have been passed out with kind of that higher level needed for a free kick to be given. To me, I would have thought it would have, it would have suited Liverpool, that kind of throwback to the rock and roll football, the ball thrashing around everywhere and a real open game. But... I think the manager's a bit concerned that it could end up in a bit of an injury and certainly up against a robust side like Burnley. thought that might be been a side that maybe tried to push it a bit too far. Yes. I mean, the problem you got there is that there's two things. One, just because the way that Klopp is obviously doesn't speak English is his first language. Yep. I think what he was trying to say was that he's quite happy with the new rules and he, he likes it. And a little bit like Solskjaer said yesterday for United, didn't he, against Southampton. But Klopp was just a bit worried that it's maybe gone from one extreme to the other. And he didn't mention any particular incidents against Burnley, but you could, there's two off the top of your head is when, I think it was Ashley Barnes, was it? Decided to jump at Matip, two-footed and go, you know, go around his neck, I think it was, and try and pull him back. And the referee just waved play on. And there was another one where, I can't remember whether it was Barnes or Wood, went into, when they challenged with Alisson for a, for a header just towards half time. And he went in pretty strongly there as well, which would have probably given, been given as a free kick. I mean, well, to be honest, I don't think the second one was a free kick anyway. But it's just that it's kind of a build-up of the momentum that Burnley can can do when they can, you know, knock players over. I'm pretty frank saying there wasn't a booking at all in the game, was there? There wasn't no. a booking in the Liverpool no. game, which I can't remember the last time a Liverpool-Burnley game's happened when nobody got booked because there were some strong challenges coming in there. Yeah. Um, I think Harvey Elliott was on the, the end of a couple early on and then he, he, it, was a, it was a fair challenge that he lost the ball, didn't he, near the edge of the area in the first half where... But I think I can't remember whether Burnley got a shot of or not, but they certainly had an opportunity from dispossessing him. But you know, Burnley are Burnley. I just think it's like anything, isn't it? When they do real changes, you take a little bit of time to bed in. And I think fans would rather it was like if it's gonna be like it is 
it, it was the first two weekends. They'd rather that than what we had last year. And I think Klopp probably the same. He just wants to make sure that we don't lose sight of the fact that you can actually still foul people and it actually be a foul and it actually be dangerous and people should be punished accordingly. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. One of the things with Burnley, though, I suppose one of those other myths to throw out there, Gorsi, I think it's now 95 games or something. They've, they've Anyway, they've set a new Premier League record for most consecutive games without having a red card, which with Burnley, you don't really associate. No, I wouldn't have, wouldn't have ever guessed that. If you told me you no. wanted to ask me to name the team in the Premier League, I, I would have chose Burnley last, bottom of that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just the way they, they approach the game, isn't it? Um, throwback stuff. Um, British core, I think. You know, Goodmanson's from Iceland and um, McNeil is like McNeil Irish. Other than that, I think pretty much a lot of them are, are British-based, aren't they? Chris Woods from New Zealand. So we've got a very kind of old-school, traditional squad, which seems to jar with what you see, you know, with other top-level clubs in modern football. But that's just the way they operate, don't they? You know, fair play to them. They'll, they'll go on and be looking to stay in the Premier League again and, and build again. And Sean Dice continues to kind of do a really good job there keeping them in the division but I'm just glad I don't have to watch it every week and Liverpool only played them twice um, there'll always be this kind of thing of oh it's Burnley and it's a tough place to go but Liverpool have got a really good record at Turf Moor it tends to be at Anfield when Burnley have a bit of joy but thankfully that's out the way now and Liverpool can move on yeah, OK. Talk to us about Sadio Mane then, because we were talking last week after Norwich that he was the only striker who hadn't been able to get off the mark but Back at Anfield, we were talking about it pre-match that he will be one of those energised by the supporters, and he duly got his goal, finished off a brilliant team move. Are you asking me? <laughs> Can do whoever wants to take it on. <laughs> uh, if only we could be back outside, then we'd know exactly. Then we could what have we eye doing. contact. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, we, haven't, we haven't got any. We haven't got any trophy next to us this this time. That's, no. that's quite poor. We need to do. We need to do better. I got me a cup of tea though. So that's okay. Um, okay. Tell us about Manny then. Manny, yeah. Well. He could have got it. He almost could have got it against Norwich, couldn't he? I know Salah tried to, to to feed him towards the end. Nearly got his goal then. But you've seen during the summer is that it's a different kind of man. He's he's benefited from his rest. He said it himself. He said he thinks it was almost probably the first summer that he uh, that he, he was able to do that. And he said he he said in an interview before the season that he feels mentally, he says physically and more importantly mentally refreshed as well, which suggests that you know I know we've touched on that in the past about yet. I think he had to go and see a psychologist. Was it Gorsi was saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. To to because he was struggling with his form, wanting to know why. And sometimes it can just be little things like just having a break, you know, especially if you're playing that kind of high level football, that high pressure. Because he's also one of the top players and probably the best player in Senegal and he's got all the hopes of that country resting on him as well. So it's a lot. It's a little bit like Salah, isn't it, with Egypt? There's a lot There's a lot resting on him there and it's a lot to take on and he's quite a laid-back chap for us. So for him to be struggling like that, the way that he, he clearly was, shows you that the impact that these things can have. But, yeah, his goals, I mean, he took his goal brilliantly. I know we're, we're probably talking a bit about the actual whole build-up to it and the way it was. That, that was like an old-school Liverpool goal in terms of a couple of years ago from Van Dijk knocking out wide. Obviously, there's the kind of new face in Elliot, but then Trent putting the ball in. And no less than he deserved. I mean, I, I thought in the first half, man, it was, was to be honest, I found, found it was quite funny. He was just absolutely loving just going up against Burnley. He just loved it. He was like just going up against his marker. He was finding other ones. And it was interesting that he ended up scoring that goal from being in a central position. Like, if anything, he was more towards the right wing than the left. Yeah. So it kind of shows that, you know, Salah gets his goals from there. Jota scored his goals from there. Manic gets his goals from, well, 
most goals are scored from that position. But the point is, is that they weren't getting in each other's way. They, they seem to have that understanding of the three of them in the same way that Salah and uh, Mane had it with Firmino as well. So in that sense, that's that's worked. But Mane as an individual, I think this season, I think it, I, while I don't think he'll ever get up to the record of goals that he scored when he first joined at the, that kind of second and third season where he was going 20-odd, I don't think Liverpool need him to. If he gets near to 20 and he plays like he has been in these last couple of games, and that's exactly what's required because you've now got Jota there to, to help uh, shoulder this, the goal-scoring burden. Yeah, yeah so I think that, that's interesting, actually, Tony, because it, it, it's always been put across as Mane generally had a poor season. And I think most people would, would agree that he, he probably did, and certainly he said it himself at times that he, that he wasn't anywhere near his best, but he still scored 16 in total 16. in all, all competitions. Be a really good return for, for most other forwards, wouldn't it? So, um, if he can obviously build on that and, and as you say, get near around about that 20 mark, that, that's going to be, you know, great for Liverpool because they've, they've also got Jota who's chipping in as well. He got 13 last season and I think the big one probably is for me now this season. He didn't get anywhere near as many as he would have liked did he last season six, I think, off the top of my head. Um, so, if they can all contribute, it kind of takes the pressure off Salah a bit, doesn't it? Because, he got 31 last season, but um, can't be expected to be the only person who scores for Liverpool. So, yeah, it'll be um, great to see Mane back with fans kind of putting the wind in the sails and a, a, a new look Mane, if you like. Yeah, he yeah. mentioned that as well, didn't he? He said, when we're scoring goals, he said, it's nowhere near as much fun if you can't celebrate it with the fans. And he said, that's yeah. almost as important as celebrating with your teammates. So, you could tell he enjoyed his goal. Yeah, definitely. He had that one in the first half as well, didn't he, that Trent sort of lobbed in from the right, as you say, he was in that kind of inside right position in the box. Again, shinned it over the bar with the volley stretching to, to get to it. But I suppose as important as the actual goal scoring is the creation of it. It was back to sort of real classic Liverpool, the two fullbacks with the assists, but also Harvey Elliott popping up here, there and everywhere. You're talking about kind of that interchanging doily of the, the front three, but you throw mm. Harvey Elliott into the mix as well because there was that chance where he second half had gone down the left, Henderson popping it over the top and crossed it and Salah's effort blocked on the line. And Harvey Elliott just seems to have slotted in and, well, it, it's like he's been there an awful long time and he's got so much confidence about it as well. Well, he did have a year, didn't he, training with them in his first season when he was 16 and turned 17. And then he's had a year of going away and playing the championship. It, it sounds a bit daft, but in some ways, the fact that there was no crowd for most of those games at the championship and it was just purely based on this kind of physicality of playing in that league, that perhaps might have helped him a little bit. Because and there's so many games at that level. Exactly, and because and and yeah. and and he was able to play, as you say, well, he was nominated, wasn't he, for the, the EFL Young Player of the Year, which for somebody who was only 70, 18 at the end of the season, it's a massive deal, especially being out there on loan. So, you now anybody who's anybody who watched him during the first you know year that he was at Liverpool, whether he's playing for the under twenty one team in the EFL uh, trophy or he's playing for the the team in the UEFA Youth League, me and Gorsi saw a few games of that, and or the under twenty threes because he just seemed to miss out the under eighteens altogether completely. He just went straight into the under twenty threes. The there's all you could the stuff that he's done against Norwich a little bit and obviously against Burnley is exactly what he was doing in those games but he's doing it with better players he doesn't look any he doesn't look out of place I wrote something after I think it was the, the athletic Bilbao friendly um basically the best thing that you could say about him is that his teammates don't look at him as though he's 18 they just they don't try and make any concessions they're just giving these passes they're giving him these balls and expecting to control it to go into the right places to you know deliver the right pass for the return the kind of thing that you expect from somebody who's been playing for 
a number of years, and you wouldn't really expect an eighteen-year-old to be you know, to be pulling off or, or executing. But it's the way that he, in some ways, that goal, the, the second goal, the way that he was got into that position, controlled it. And then it's the actual weight of the pass and to know exactly where to put it for Trent, who then didn't have to move, sorry, change stride, and was then able just to flick it over for, for Manny for the goal. And he can do that all the time. I mean, it's funny, we did the podcast last week and Sean, Sean Bradbury mentioned the fact that me and Sean had done something not long after he joined, sort of a couple of times. We said, we're not going to build him up. And we mentioned Gerard and Messi within about two minutes. But he's a little bit like Gerard in the fact that he plays the pass that he wants the basically he plays the ball to another player in a way that he then tells them what their next pass is going to be and that's a sign of a really good player uh, and you know i'm not putting too much pressure on him because you only have to listen to what he says he's a very confident individual he's very he's he, you know he, he's sensible as well he's, he's head screwed on you know he's he's been brought up the right way and being at being at blackburn has really helped him an awful lot i mean we've put a story up today we're saying that it's helped with his maturity he feels as though he's a He's grown up so much in the past 12 months and he would have done. I mean, forget what your profession is. When you go from 16 to 18, it's a massive, you know, you, you do become a kind of, you're going from, you know, childhood to adulthood. So in that sense that he, he's he gone from, what was I say, two years ago, under 21s, and now he's playing in the Premier League against Burnley. And, and he'll think that he's got a chance of playing against Chelsea. And if he does play, no one's going to bat an eyelid and go, what's this lad doing playing? Already, they can see that he's someone who can fit into that team. Um and provide, and as Gorsley pointed out when we were at the game, within a couple of uh, minutes, he got clobbered twice by, by Burnley, the old, yeah, here's the young lad, let's see how he copes with this. But totally, completely forgetting that he'd been in the Championship for a year and he just got up and went, all right, is that it? Okay, let's crack on then. Yeah, it's, it's just exciting, isn't it, Gorsley, that you kind of got a, a new player in, albeit he's not had to come with a £40 million price tag, but he's, he's a lad who... Two years ago, Liverpool saw something. They went and got him. They brought him in. And now he's been nurtured into a position where he can come into the team. And I think sort of the, the two chances I spoke about before as well, one going down the left and the second for the goal, taking it out from sort of the uh, Van Dijk lofted pass out to the right. That's kind of the Salah position you expect him to pick up. But him being so wide at times also enables those strikers to remain central. Yeah, Liverpool pulled Burnley out of position brilliantly for that second goal. Obviously, the Van Dyke pass, which they weren't able to play last season just because the, the lads at centre-back in his place haven't got that kind of passing range out there with respect to them, you know, and that Phillips or a Reese williams Liverpool have really missed, obviously, Van Dyke in a defensive sense, but just for those cross-field, you know, change of, you know, Liverpool go from front to the back, back in the blink of an eye, and I think that'll be a key facet for them this season, and Elliot was technically playing centre mid, but there were so many times when he, he moved onto that right to help out with um, Trent and, and Salah, and, and those three were, were causing all kinds of problems, weren't they, down, down Burnley's left. Um, so Trent kind of brought himself in field once he's seen Elliot that wide and then just plays that pass, and um, Klopp called it a cheeky curveball of a pass, and then Manny sticks it away. And it was a, it was a great move. Um, I, I kind of think with Elliot, um, I can understand why there's so much excitement about him. He's, he's one of the best teenagers in the country, but he doesn't have to be a first-team superstar at Liverpool at the moment. He's only 18. He's, he doesn't turn 19 till April, I don't think. So he's got years and years on his side before you're looking at him as someone who should be contributing regularly for this Liverpool team. So um, I just temper the expectation and the excitement around him a little bit because I don't think Liverpool need him to be this, you know, 
superstar teenager, just you know, carry on at, at the trajectory that he's on. Um, game time here and there in the League Cups and FA Cups and whatever it may be, the odd uh, appearance in the Premier League, and, and just um, just kind of nurture it slowly because uh, there's absolutely no rush. Liverpool have got a, a great squad. Everyone's fit at the moment, so you don't need them to be um, weighing in every single week. But you know, as a Premier League debut goes, it was a superb performance. Yeah, because yeah. if, if he start if he starts one in four and then comes on a sub like one or two times in the next in the other three, he'll end up with thirty appearances this season and probably ten to fifteen as a starter. And that's you know from where he where he was two years ago. As we've said, God knows how many times already. He's only eighteen. There's no rush, as Gorsty said. They don't they don't have to play him. And I suppose that's a difference to maybe sometimes in the past there have been sorry, very loud Mike has just driven past my house. Um, <laughs> really put me off there. Um, they don't have to play. They, they're not in the past. They've, they've been having. They've been in positions where they've had to play youngsters, and they've had to put them in ahead of where they should have been. But with Elliot, they've managed to. They've managed him brilliantly from the, the minute that they signed him, with what they did with him. But given the year, as I said before, given the year at, at Melwood as it was then, uh, then sent him to Blackburn to further his development. They did a brilliant job with him, and the, the club have been. Well pleased, and that's why you know Leighton Clarkson's gone there. They hope they can help him do the same there that he were part this season. So Elliot is somebody. It was interesting. The crowd got excited whenever he got the ball. Certainly the second half, whenever he got, they thought, "Oh, hang on, something could happen here." And it wasn't so much that they were willing him to do something because it was obviously you know the goodwill to a youngster. They actually genuinely thought something might happen. And in the end, as we've mentioned, three or four examples of where it did. Yeah, no, definitely. And Leighton Clarkson got a, an assist of sorts, should we say, on his, his Blackburn debut as well against West Brom. A little mention for him in terms of Elliot and his development, Gorsty. And, and that step to Blackburn Rovers, I suppose, maybe wasn't the initial part of the master plan, was it? I suppose after not being able to move on Harry Wilson and Jordan Shakiri in the way that Liverpool wanted last summer, all of a sudden it opened up for Harvey Elliott to go out on loan, but wasn't always really part of the thinking. No, it wasn't. I think the fact that he didn't go on loan straight away probably tells you that. You know, he, he come in as a 16-year-old and he was playing in the League Cup and the FA Cup. And he actually made his Premier League debut in the against Sheffield United, was it, at the turn of 2020? He only got on for a couple of minutes, but um, he, he he was in the squad and whatever else. So, yeah, um, I think the Blackburn loan last season came late in the window, if I remember. It was certainly in October when he moved. Liverpool um, Tuesday loan clubs very um, specifically don't they? they don't just let any any player go to any club and I think they were pleased with Tony Mowbray's um, reputation for developing young players, young attacking players. Um, I think they had Adam Adam Armstrong last season as well. Did he? He's just moved to Southampton, right? Um, so he had him at Coventry as well, actually, all the way yeah, back then. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, Liverpool were very, um, very. I wouldn't say wary, but they made sure that if Elliot was going to make a long move somewhere, it was going to be the right place at the right time. And obviously, you've seen with Leighton Clarkson going back to Blackburn that uh, Liverpool trust them to kind of play these play these players, give them game time. Otherwise, there's no point having them on loan. Liverpool have seen that with Ben Wolfen having when he went to Sheffield United, didn't get a game and ended up coming back. In the January, so um, yeah, that year on loan seems to have been a massive belt for him. And, and of course, it would be you know, a season in the championship at the age of 18 is probably ideal for, for Liverpool long term, ideal for Elliot. So, yeah, um, now he's back and, and he's a member of the squad and he's going to be playing fairly regularly. And uh, it's going to be exciting to see 
his developments, you know, as he approaches the end of his teens, which is still mm-hmm. 18 months away, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah, this, yeah, he's still got so much room, yet more development to come from Harvey Elliott. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Let's move on, though, and let's talk about transfers. Let's talk about Jordan Shakiri and Doily looking as though we are very, very close now to him walking through the exit door, if he's not already. Yes, £9.5 million pounds to, to Leon. No, uh, Leon had been after him for a little while. He offered, what was it, £4 million, pounds, I think, was it? Or, or not a lot, yeah. basically, initially. But the player had obviously told Liverpool earlier in the summer that he wanted to leave for game time. He was quite keen on Leon. There were other clubs in for him. I can't remember off the top of my head. Of course, he knows these. Who was it? Sevilla, Villarreal, Napoli, and Napoli. Lattes, that it? Oh, that's yeah, it. yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. So there was them. So for Leon, it's a bit of a coup, really, because they're, they're not exactly small clubs. Those four that we just mentioned. So he obviously wanted to go there. Um, it's interesting as well that nine point five million is actually when you look at it. I think he started ten games over the last two years for Liverpool, and while we all know his talent. If he's not fit, he can't play. Unfortunately for, for Shakiris that he was not fit often enough. Although pretty sure I'm right in saying last season, for about the past the last seven months last season, I'm not sure he missed a game through injury, I don't think. He was just not in the team because there were there were others ahead of him. And I think he, he spotted that this you know this summer when he had a good Euros, he knew that his stock was pretty high. He could get the move that perhaps he wanted. And that's what he's he, well, it looks like he's he's gonna get. And of course. You mentioned Harvey Elliott. The reason Harvey Elliott, obviously, I forgot about that. He went out on loan in the end is because Shakiri didn't leave. It was yeah. Shakiri was supposed to go. Now, the minute it was obvious last October that he then was like, no, actually, I want to stay here. He went, OK, Harvey Elliott, we would have given you game time, but go to Blackburn, you'll get a lot more game time, come back, and we'll see what the, the situation is at the end of the season. And it, and because Shakiri's going, oh, sorry, she, the Liverpool are quite happy for Shakiri to go for that right price, 9.5 million, because they've got someone like Harvey Elliott coming through and... He also in the League Cup and FA Cup, we've, we've been, you know, we've seen Kay Gordon in the summer. You know, some of us saw him earlier this year playing for the under 18s, and he's, he's a bit of a talent. He's somebody's only 16, but you know, they don't want to block the roots of these kind of players. They've said many a time because, as I said, Shakiri's barely featured over the past two years. Him not being there isn't, unfortunately for him, a massive loss in that sense. I mean, he's a very good, very talented player, and I actually quite like him. And but you can see why he didn't play as much as he could have done, just the way that he is and the, and the, the way that Liverpool set up. So him going means the space for Elliot, and it could give a chance for Gordon. And it also means that possibly if another one goes, Liverpool might end up bringing somebody else in up front before the transfer window shuts. Might that, before anybody quotes me. Yeah, that was that was the thing I was I was going to throw over to you, Gorsi hospital pass for you but sort of saying that <laughs> Shakiri's been a midfield option the last few years for Liverpool but him moving on now people will be sort of saying well where does that leave the quotas with the foreign players and this that and the other will that money be part of something else that's maybe reinvested at the top end of the pitch um yeah I'd, I'd suggest it probably has to be otherwise what why are you letting him go okay what he wants to leave and you can understand Klopp kind of agreeing to the players' wishes and giving a pat, a pat on the back and off you go and you know, fair play to you. But at some point, Liverpool can't just keep letting players go and just think everything's fine and they can just carry on without feeling any need to replace any of them. Because um, they're not a charity. They're not here to put the players first every single time. Um, 
And also, what was the point of, of negotiating with Leon? You know, Leon offering five million euros, and Liverpool are working hard behind the scenes to bring that price up to eventually get nine and a half million pound. If you're not looking to reinvest it, then what's the point? You know, why didn't you just say yes two weeks ago and, and off you go, Jadon, and whatever else? So I think Liverpool have to do something. I've I, I felt that they've needed a forward all along, and um, now they're losing one. They're going to need someone, certainly, um, because they can't rely on before going into three all season. Divock Origi, his last Liverpool goal was nearly a year ago now at Lincoln. Um, Minamino, still not sure if he's going to be a long-term option, long-term answer. So they've got him. They've, they've got him for me, and, and I think it's going to be an interesting week to see um, if and when they do something. Um, I hope they do, but um, the people who we're speaking to at the moment aren't doing it a little bit reluctant to suggest that um, there's going to be a shiny new replacement coming in. But um, we know Liverpool play close to the chest um, throughout the club, and, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, well, Jurgen Klopp did say, didn't he, ahead of the game with Norwich in that first press conference of the season, we can't afford to spend money we don't have. So by that logic, 9.5 million coming in, is it, the price for Shakiri isn't really going to stretch too far, is it, Doyle? It depends. It depends, really. I mean, I'm, I'm of the opinion that if they were going to get rid of Shakiri and somebody else, whether it's Origi or not, they will have to bring somebody up front. And just just interesting thing, just thinking about Minamino, I actually think with Jota now quite clearly an option down the middle. I do think that perhaps it may help Minamino because Minamino's best position when he's played for Liverpool is on the left. And obviously you had Jota there, but Mane's the main man there. But if Jota's now being kind of transformed into it, he's going to be rotating a little bit with Firmino. Perhaps it could be that Minamino now and again will play instead of Mane. I don't know. I'm just wondering whether that's the thinking behind they might want to keep him. And if they can move a region, you know, I don't think it's unfair to suggest that maybe his time has come to an end. He couldn't even get the starting lineup we've said of those two friendlies at Anfield um, earlier this month, which is a you know, very indicative of his standing. And you know, he'll, he'll leave with the the best wishes of everybody. He's done his bit, hasn't he? You know, he's got to go in the European Cup finals. What what more could he do for Liverpool in that sense? So, but I do think if if Origi does go, and I would be very surprised if he doesn't, then I think there will be scope for Liverpool to bring in somebody in that front three area possibly by the looks of it given what i've just been saying somebody that can either play out wide right or has the ability to also go down the middle like a lot of the players they've got already do have but uh if the right player is not there for the right place they just won't do it because i think they'll just go well we're quite happy to go with what we've got even if Origi does go but I, as i say i would be surprised if Origi. i wouldn't be surprised if Origi goes and i wouldn't be surprised then if liverpool then buy somebody else it's a difficult one though, isn't it? Just come back to you on that in terms of the criteria. I'm with you. I think sort of wide right and someone who can play through the middle is probably the thing. But you, what we've already said in this podcast, you don't want to block Harvey Elliott's game time for minutes. Some of that might well come off the right-hand side as the season does go on. And yet also below him, you've got Kai Gordon. So you're looking for more of an experienced option, but then that's going to cost more money. And how long are they going to stay around? But- well, Gordon's only 16, so I don't think you're blocking his roots, even if this player doesn't plays the next two or three years that they, they bring in. He'd still only be 19, Gordon. Harvey Elliott's interesting. I think that's probably part of the reason why they played him in midfield. So you can get him a bit more involved and, and give him the chance of getting more game time when they start rotating the, the team because these opening few weeks of the season, they played one game a week. Klopp said it himself after the game against, uh, against Burnley that 
after the Chelsea game for all the international players. They're then playing at least two games a week until about Easter or something like that. So that's when the intensity truly kicks in and that's when they're going to have to start moving the players around. And that's why getting the minutes for Elliot in midfield will, will, will benefit him um, in the long run because it gives him a chance of getting more game time playing somewhere else. Yeah, and part of the reason that intensity is going to step up, certainly from next month onwards, is the return of Champions League football, Gorsley. And on Thursday, we've got the draw for it. We'll be covering it live here on the Blood Red channel, as we have for the last few seasons. But it is coming back around, and I suppose Liverpool are waiting to see what options they may sort of be uh, drawn against. Yeah, it's, it's kind of crept up this, hasn't it? Um, Champions League draw, it's always a big pointer for the season, and you're looking at how it might shape up and whatever else. And Yeah, I'm not too sure about the specifics in terms of the pots and so on. Um, I think that there might be in pot two. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's, always, it's always a good little afternoon of activities and then the Champions League draws and um, Liverpool get last year, Ajax, um, Atalanta yeah. and Richland. Yeah, yeah. To be fair, they've added They've done okay in recent years in the Champions League draws. I think the season before that was going back a bit now. Trying to remember Genk, Salzburg, and Napoli, wasn't it? Um, so there's always there's always one team who, who who you think you know a bit of a big name across European football. Um, and I think last season was just so unfortunate that Liverpool fans didn't get the chance to go to uh, to Amsterdam for a couple of days and. Um, I think that was the first meeting since the 60s between the two teams, wasn't it? So that would have been you know, a perfect one if it came around again this time round. So, yeah, um, looking forward to seeing who they get. And then um, we shall see if uh, me and Dolly are going to be part of the uh, travelling pack for the away games. Yeah, Liverpool are in pot two, aren't they, for it, Dolly? So there is going to be at least a heavyweight in there. And uh... Well, you can say that, but if you look at the pot two, pot two is where you've got Real Madrid, Barcelona, Juventus... Dortmund, um, this yes, on top of my head. There's Sevilla, Sevilla there. Um, and they obviously they got United in there, they can't play. At the actual, the pot one teams, they can't play Chelsea or City. And so the and then the other is Lille's in there and they've lost half their players since winning the French League. Sport in Lisbon. Um, Villarreal, having won Europe. Villarreal, yeah, Villarreal, yeah. Um, yeah, so I said heavyweights, actually, since you say pot two's really the strong one, isn't it? I, I, I let it, let's go Madrid are in, they're in um, the top part, and I don't think Liverpool yeah, would are. want to play them. I mean, we, I think we know from experience that when those two teams, no matter who the managers are, in the last 10 years, whenever they've got together, 10, 15 years, it's been a really close game, a bit of a scrap, a bit of a battle, and that will be difficult for Liverpool. But Champions League, what do you expect? It's all going to be difficult. You know, Liverpool, when they actually won it in 2019, in the group, they had Paris Saint-Germain and Napoli. And yeah. then the other team, Red Star Belgrade, the weakest team, they lost to. So, so I think they lost. Did they lose to all of them? I think they lost to all of them away and won the beat them all at home, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. They had to beat Napoli in the last game to go through the Yeah, I think the way European football is at the moment now, I don't think Liverpool should be worried worried about facing anyone. Obviously, they can't face Man City or Chelsea. Everyone else shouldn't represent too much of a of a big fear. Real Madrid, okay, we won. Back in April in those two legs, but I don't think Liverpool would be too worried now with a, with a fully fit squad again playing them. Barcelona still got big names, of course, but they, they seem to be in a bit of a shambles, don't they? And, and the obvious one, of course, is Lionel Messi led Paris Saint Germain. But um, I think, you know, talking about the pot one teams there, I don't think there's too many that Liverpool are going to be 
terrified of being drawn alongside and then you would expect them to be confident against the teams in pots three and four. Into Milan one as well, aren't they, in pot one? And they, yeah, I've they've got lost, pot one here. They've lost yeah. a lot of their best players. Yeah, no, pot one's got Chelsea and Man City in which obviously Liverpool can't, can't play. Yeah. Bayern Munich, Atletico Madrid, Villarreal, Inter Milan, Sporting and Lille. So to be fair, as you guys were sort of saying, other than maybe Bayern and Atletico, there's not... Yeah. I know it's famous, mm. famous last words before the draw, but there's not too much to fear in there. But yeah, but I mean, for then then you're looking at pots three and four, and you could just easily, as, as Gorsi said, you could get a, get an Ajax or get a Wolfsburg or get AC Milan. You know, who were it used to be the UEFA Cup in the old days was was arguably the toughest competition to win because they were the teams that were usually up and coming. They were going to be the yeah. next year's. They were that year's. They were going to win the title that year, and then they're going to go for the European Cup the next year. And I think sometimes with these lower pot teams, there can be a little bit of that in there. These teams that are bubbling under, such as you know AC Milan. Although to be fair, if they got up front, Ibrahimovic and Giroud, who I think would be like having me and Gorsty up front in, in terms <laughs> of age. That is, in terms of age. Obviously, well, to be fair, it'd have to be like having Gorsty and Gorsty because they're both about six foot three and. Yeah, you know, he's the big man for a reason. Tall and, Paul. Yeah. It's not been yeah. called Tall Paul for ages, has he? <laughs> no, no. No, no, and they both got a good touch for a big man, which of course <laughs> certainly, yeah, certainly does. Anyway, right, let's leave it there. That wraps up Monday's Blood Red podcast. As I say, we will have a special Champions League draw on our dedicated YouTube channel for you on Thursday. So do come and join us for that one. But from myself, Guy Clark, Paul Gorst and Ian Doyle, thanks for joining us. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.